Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, we're going to get into the word this morning. Real quick here, I did want to mention that uh, we are going to do baptismal service here in a few minutes. And so uh, those of you who are baptismal candidates, we'll call you, uh, we did send out an email. But if you didn't get that at 1125, we're going to have you go out and get prepared for that. We're going to, I think we have 13 people that are going to be baptized. And so we want to make sure that we make room for that. So at 1125, I'll try to remember and wave you out. Uh, So what I'm going to do this morning is I want to teach on baptism. Uh, that this baptism is one of uh, what Protestants refer to as sacraments. Well, the Christians in general refer to it as the sacraments. Catholics have more, they consider more things sacramental than uh, most Protestant evangelicals. Uh, we look at the Lord's Supper or communion that we've, we've talked about that before as a sacrament and then we have water baptism. Sacrament, really, the idea is that it's an avenue of grace, that we do receive grace from God. And there are, in, in a looser sense, there are other sacraments. There are, some of you, you have certain songs that are sacramental to you. There's certain songs, you, and you'll listen to that, and it's like you get grace from that. God uses that to minister to you. The Lord spoke to me one day, and he said, Dave, you need to know your personal sacraments. And I knew exactly what he meant. He's, he was talking about me pastoring my heart and understanding what are the things that I draw grace from. I'm one of those guys that if there's a song that becomes sacramental, it's only for a period because I'll wear that thing out till I'm sick of it. And then I'll move on to another song. But during that time, I'll allow the Lord to minister to my heart. And so uh, communion and water baptism, however, are two ceremonies, if you will, two prophetic acts that Jesus himself either participated in or instituted. And so today we're going to do, we're going to partake in water baptism. And so I want to look at that from a scriptural perspective, uh, because a lot of times we just do things and we don't know why we're doing them. We want to understand. Now, we're not going to be able to do a uh, a full orb to look at water baptism because like most subjects, uh, water baptism, there is so much involved. There is, it literally is a prophetic act that we're participating in. Uh, but I'm going to look at one facet. We're going to look at it from different angles over the next uh, you know, the next few years when we do water baptism, we'll look at water bapt- or baptism from different, several different facets. But this morning, I want to look at it from a very particular facet. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. We might even look at 1 through 7. Or 8. I don't know. We're going to look in Romans. We're going to start at 6.1. Let's read. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so Paul is talking about previously uh, in in this book, he's talking about how we're saved by grace, and, and he, he proposes the question, shall we, that, shall we sin then that grace may increase? He says, by no means. Verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
So what we're going to look at this morning is that this prophetic act, those that are going to step in the baptismal waters are being baptized into Christ's death. He goes on to say, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death. So baptism, water baptism is a burial. It's a watery grave that we go down into and to come up into newness of life. That's what he goes on to say next. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that, or the goal of which is, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so water baptism is embracing that, that death burial and resurrection and it's a prophetic act signifying that we identify with what Jesus did. That's what we're going to do this morning. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll come back to uh, Romans 6 here in a minute. But Ephesians chapter 4, I want to point out an interesting little verse that can be a bit confusing in light of what we just said. Look at verse 1 of Ephesians 4. As a prisoner For the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, in Ephesians, uh, the first three chapters are very theological. He's talking about what God has done for us. And in the light of what God has done for us, in chapter 4, he transitions. Uh, There's an old saying, whenever you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. And in the King James Version, it says, therefore... Uh, In light of what God has done in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, now let's live a life worthy of the calling. Ephesians 1 through 3 are very theological, philosophical, if you will. Ephesians 4 through 6, the other half of the book, is very practical. Especially as you get deeper into the into the, the, the book. He says things like, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Children, obey your parents. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Very practical stuff. I know when I first got saved, I would always read the last part of the book because I could understand that. The first part of the book was confusing to me because he'd get real theological. But here's the problem. If you don't understand the first part of the book, what God has done for you, you will not be able to apply the last part of the book, your cooperation with what God did in the first part of the book. We live from Christ's finished work. And so Paul is transitioning here. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's saying, man, make haste. Make this a goal. You've got to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? He says, verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. And so what Paul is talking about is there's a unity in the faith that we have to be in unity in in order to participate in. If you want, there, there are a lot of things in the Christian life that are inaccessible to the Lone Ranger Christian. You cannot access on your own. Jesus put it this way, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now we know that God is everywhere present. That's the theological term, omnipresent. He's everywhere. Well, if he's everywhere, then what does he mean by wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am? 
What he's saying is, I am more there than I am everywhere. It's the difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence. There's something accessible when we come together as the body of Christ. Uh, years ago, there was a guy, Bob Mumford. He's still alive. He's well along in years. My dad used to uh, read all his books. I had the pleasure of meeting him about eight years ago. Uh, but Bob Mumford had a great saying. He talked about the body of Christ or church is Christ in session. That when we come together as a body... It's now Christ in session. There's something accessible to us now that wasn't accessible to us when we were at home in our prayer closet alone. When we're just reading the Bible alone, there's something of God we cannot touch alone that we can touch together. So that's his point. So then he goes on to say that we each have been given a measure and we got to bring these measures together to get the fullness. That's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians chapter 4. And he goes on to say there's fivefold ministry, apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Each of these are called to equip people to grow up into the utilization of their gift so we can attain the fullness. That's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians 4. But on his way there to that end zone, on his way there to make that point, he says there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. I don't know about you, but that's a strange phrase to me. If there's one baptism, but we, yet we look in the New Testament, we see there's John's baptism of repentance, which is different than Christian baptism. John was baptizing people into repentance, in water, into repentance. Then we have Christian baptism, which is in water. According to Ephesians 6, I mean, Romans 6, we just read, in water, into Christ's death. We'll just pause there. Baptism always has an in and an into included in it. You cannot understand baptism where you're speaking of water baptism or spirit baptism. You cannot really understand what's going on here unless you understand that there's both an in and an into. There's in a substance, into and experience. And so John's baptism was in water, in the river Jordan, into repentance. And that experience is already a reality that somebody is signifying through water baptism. What do I mean by that? It's always after the fact. The, the Roman soldiers came to John and said, hey, would you baptize us? We want in on this. He said, no, I'm not going to baptize you in to repentance until you first bring forth fruit of repentance. I'm only going to seal with the waters of the river Jordan in baptism what's already happening in your life. This external seal must point to an internal reality. So you don't baptize someone to make them repentant. I mean, if you hold them under long enough, maybe they'd get there. <laughs> but that's not the purpose of water baptism. It's a public declaration of an internal reality. So John had a baptism of repentance. So then we take it to Christian baptism. We're baptized in water into what? His death. So water baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It's the external declaration of an internal reality. I'm already dead with him, but I want everyone to know. I want to make this public that I'm going to get in the baptismal waters. And I agree with this assessment of my previous life, my 
uh, you know, BC life, before Christ, that that man deserved death and I'm going to enter into the watery grave and leave him under the water. Does that make sense? So there's in and in two. And then we also have this other baptism. So there's John's baptism into repentance. There's Christian baptism into Christ's death. And then there's spirit baptism. Yet Paul says there's one baptism. Spirit baptism has an in and an into as well, by the way. We don't have time to get into this, but I'm going to drop a little something in your noggin for you to pursue. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says this. We are all baptized by one spirit or in one spirit. The Greek word is en, but it looks, when, you write, when you read it, it looks like it's cursive ev, ev. We are all baptized in one spirit into one body. So spirit baptism doesn't make you a part of the body. It is an outward declaration of an internal reality that you've already taken place. That's why when Peter was preaching to the Gentiles and the spirit fell on him and the other disciples got on his case for baptizing them in water, he said, hey, the spirit came on him. I knew they were Christians. If God accepts them, you see, because baptism is an external declaration of an internal reality. That's why when Jesus went down in the water, there was, remember, we've, we've talked about this before. When Jesus was in his water baptism, he went in the water, and there was a voice from heaven. One gospel says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus drank in the Father's affirmation. But another gospel says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Which was true. They both were. Jesus heard it personally. The crowds heard it about him. And both were crucial. Because God was not only validating Jesus that he was his son. And that is a part of baptism, by, way, by the way. That father's affirmation. But it was also a public confirmation to the crowd that Jesus is indeed the Son of God in whom he's well pleased. And when these candidates get in this water, there is a public affirmation that goes on. That is a public statement. But it's already an inward reality. Now, I don't have time to get into this other than to say this. That little verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a very controversial verse. One with, by which people say, well, because it says we're baptized in one spirit into one body, that, it, that must mean that you're baptized in the spirit at salvation. Because they have that verse standing alone, and when you read it at face value, when you don't interpret it through the other scriptures which speak of baptism, that sounds correct. But if you allow scripture to interpret scripture, you begin to realize that the, the hermeneutical law, okay, hermeneutics is the, I'm getting into the weeds here, I'm sorry. The, the hermeneutical law, hermeneutics is the science of literary interpretation, especially biblical interpretation. One of the primary laws of hermeneutics is this, the law of first mention. In other words, the first time a subject is introduced in literature, it crystallizes the meaning. You may build upon it, but you can never get away from that original foundation, foundational meaning. And the first time we see the idea of baptism was when John shows up on the shoreline. And he says, what I do with water, the one coming after me will do with this Holy Ghost and fire. 
So he connects water baptism and spirit baptism. And so we begin to see emerge John's baptism in the Gospels. Romans 6, Christian baptism that we just read. And then we have Ephesians 4 talking about the one baptism. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talking about spirit baptism as well as the book of Acts. So when we look at all of baptism together, we begin to realize two things. Number one, there's always an in and an into. That's very important. You're baptized in something, into something else. In a substance, into an internal reality. Number two, baptism is always after the fact. It is an outward declaration of an internal reality. And so if we allow scripture to interpret scripture, we begin to realize that spirit baptism is that external validation that we indeed are part of the body of Christ, that we are born again. And put it this way, the spirit only comes on Jesus. When Jesus came out of the water, the spirit came upon him like a dove. And the spirit comes on Jesus. If he's in you, you're a candidate for the spirit to come upon you. But you cannot be baptized in the spirit until you've been born again. Until Jesus is in you and he will come upon you. That's why scripture talk, that's why some people will use the, the terminology of full gospel. In Luke chapter 3 where John is talking uh, in, in Luke chapter 3, the writer Luke is talking about John the Baptist's, Jesus' cousin, his water baptism. He's baptizing people, and it says that he called them to baptism, and he said, and Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, and then Luke adds this, and with many other words, he preached the gospel to them. So he includes this message, this idea of the Spirit of God coming upon people in the baptism of the Spirit as part of the gospel. That's why people will talk about churches being full gospel. They believe that as part of the gospel, okay? Now, I say all that to say this. What does Paul mean when he says there's one baptism? When we've clearly shown that there's numerous baptisms. What, in Pauline theology, what Paul is saying is, that the baptism in water and baptism in the spirit are two parts to one whole, okay? And we can see it in the great example of Jesus. Jesus went down in the water and he came up and the heavens opened, the dove descended, the spirit of God came upon him and the father spoke, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And that is the whole picture of baptism. So I'm here to tell you this morning, if you have been baptized in the spirit, but have never been water baptized, you only have half your baptism. And in the same token, if you have been baptized in water, but have not been baptized in the spirit, you've been buried, but you've not yet received that resurrection power like God intended. That's not to say you don't have the power to live the Christian life and the indwelling spirit, but I'm telling you there is more. He wants to come upon you. Bill Johnson, uh, a wonderful teacher, he has this great phrase that the spirit is in us for us, but he's upon us for others. Amen. That's good preaching. That's good theology that we have the indwelling Christ in when we're born again. You can see it in John chapter 20. Jesus breathed on the disciples and they received the spirit. 
But then a few days later, as they're tarrying, 10 days later, they're tarrying for the Spirit to come upon them. The Spirit came on them. He came in them in John 20. He came on them in Acts 2. And Acts 2 was an empowerment both internally to live the Christian life and externally for ministry. So what am I saying? I'm saying that when Paul says there's one baptism, that the baptism entails going down. What did he say? Let's turn back to Ephesians 6 again. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 6, verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, or the goal of which is, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Romans 7, uh, coming out of Romans 6, Paul begins to deal with this dilemma in the Christian life. Romans 6 says, we're dead. That we, are, we were crucified with Christ. Paul talks about this in Galatians. Matter of fact, I think Pastor Christopher, still call him that, Pastor Christopher preached on that last week, how we were, we were co-crucified with Christ. Did he talk about that last week? We were co-buried with Christ. We were co-resurrected with Christ. We're co-ascended with Christ. And we also, we will appear with him, his, his co-appearing. When Jesus, what does scripture say? It says, when we see him, we shall be like him. His appearing will be our coming out. We will appear in all the glory. We will receive our glorified bodies. And the divine nature of which we have become partakers, Peter says, will be seen for what it is. Right now, it's contained in an earth suit. But then we'll receive that glorified body and we'll be... We'll be shining like the sons and daughters of God's that we, uh, God that we are. So we have this co-union with Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, even his ascension. We, we're seated with him in heavenly places right now. And then when he comes, we shall be like him. And we will rule, we will co-reign with him. It's an amazing thing. But so often, our theology is just left at, yeah, we're, we're, we're co-crucified. I died with him. That's great. But what about the resurrection? You see, what Paul is implying that the water baptism is a burial, but when we come up, what happened to Jesus? He went in the water, signifying he didn't have a sinful man to be buried in water baptism, but he did say, I must fill all of righteousness. His cousin didn't want to baptize him. He said, Jesus, I'm not worthy. He said, I've got to do this to fulfill all of righteousness. He went down in the water, signifying he's laying aside his self-life. And he came up, and it's, what does it say? Immediately he was led or driven, one gospel says, into the wilderness to be tested or tempted of the devil. So from then on, he lived that spirit-led life. He had a sinless life prior, but the spirit came upon him, and he was a man under the anointing from then on. That is our blood-bought heritage as believers. We're not just crucified and buried, but we come up in resurrection. And where the cross 
crucifies us and water baptism buries us. It's the power of the Spirit coming upon us, that resurrection power to live the Christian life. So in Romans 6, we say we're crucified. Okay, we're, we're, we're crucified with Christ. Romans 7 says, but I don't act like I'm crucified. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. Now, there's a debate among teachers of Romans 7. Is that pre-Christian experience of Paul? Or is that, was that his po- post-Christian experience? Was, that, was this his testimony before he got saved and he, he, did, he didn't do what he wanted to do and didn't do what he didn't want to do? Or uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying. I'm getting myself mixed up. Is that before he was saved or after? I personally believe that is his testimony after his conversion. Why? Because when Paul was assessing his pre-Christian life, he said, according to the law, I was flawless, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Before he was born again, before his conscience was awakened, he felt pretty righteous. But after he got saved, his conscience would condemn him. Anybody have that as their experience when they got saved? I've told you my testimony. When I got saved, I was a homeless alcoholic. I got radically saved in a borrowed bedroom. The lady that pretty much led me to the Lord gave me $60, which in 1983 was a lot of money, for a Bible. I was going to leather, leather Bible. That buy a nice Bible in 1983. And I succumbed to temptation, and I bought a keg with it instead. And the only difference when I was drinking away my Bible money was that prior to getting saved, I would have easily spent that money on a keg and I would have enjoyed it. After I got saved, I still drank it, but I didn't enjoy it. There was something inside of me was crying out. I was praying the whole time, weeping and speaking in tongues. I was. And there was a bunch of bikers at a picnic table and I'm sure they thought, you are one weird little dude, man. But you got beer, so we'll hang out with you. And I was sitting there crying and speaking in tongues, drinking myself into oblivion. What I wanted to do, I didn't do. And what I didn't want to do, I was doing. And there was a heart cry, God, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because suddenly my conscience, my my heart had become awakened to God and I wanted to serve him. I just didn't have the power to do so. So Paul closes out Romans 7 with this phrase, who will deliver me from this body of death? Blessed be God in Christ Jesus. He's saying that Jesus is going to free him. And then he bursts into chapter 8. Chapter 8 is called Paul's Pentecost. It starts with the verse, there is no condemnation. And it ends with, there is no separation. Whoo, that's a good chapter. That is, that is a wonderful chapter. No condemnation and no separation. But see, Paul has to get us across the threshold of no condemnation so we can overcome sin. And in that passage, Paul makes this statement. It is by his spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. I want you to catch that. It's by the spirit I put to death my flesh. It's the Spirit of God coming upon me. You see, I was raised in Pentecostalism, but I was always taught about the power for ministry. And that's a true aspect of the baptism. 
You see, the, the Pentecostal movement came out of the holiness movement. The holiness movement emphasized the Spirit making you holy. He was the Holy Spirit. Pentecostals emphasized that it's power for ministry. And they're both true. The problem is we want to separate those. What God had joined together, let no man separate. Holiness and power for ministry are intimately intertwined. I don't want powerful people around me if they aren't living holy. But I also don't want holy people who don't have the power to give it away. So there's an internal power to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh and an external power to heal the sick, to drive out devils. By the way, speaking of healing the sick, when, when John asked if there anybody needs healing, man, I messed my neck up yesterday. I spent like 11 hours behind the steering wheel uh, yesterday and I could not look up. It hurt so bad. And as soon as they started praying for me, God touched me. Hallelujah. He heals. Amen. See, that's power upon us for others. There's power within us for ourselves to overcome, to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Now, we don't have time to get too far down this tributary, but let me just say a couple words here. The internal power to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, it's largely about having a bigger yes and not having a bigger no. Because there's a whole lot of people, they think the Christian life is getting a real big muscular no. Are you going to drink? No. Are you going to look at pornography? No. And it's always no, no. And you need to have a no. But if, you're, if that's all you're focused on, Paul addresses it in Romans chapter 8 verse 4. He who puts his mind on the things of the flesh will walk after the flesh. But they who mind the things of the Spirit will walk after the Spirit. If you're always exercising, you know, see that, when I first got saved, I was trying to exercise a no. I'm not going to buy that keg. I'm not going to buy that keg. That keg that is frosted on the outside. And that keg that, that and my, my, my flesh flowed right into it because I was fixated on what I wasn't going to do. The internal power is largely having a bigger yes. Yes, Jesus. I want to follow you. I don't want to hurt your heart. I tell you, there was a day in my life where I would absolutely not be able to pass by alcohol. I was hopelessly bound to alcohol. It broke my heart. We, were, we spent some time in some southern cities this last week. And down south, the weather's nicer. So there are a lot of homeless people just laying down there on the sidewalk. And uh, just living there. And I, I said to my daughter, it just broke my heart. I said, because this guy just kind of rolled. There was a little dirty, little dirt spot on the side of the sidewalk. And he just rolls over and stares at us. He's laying in the dirt, smoking a cigarette. And he just looks at me. And I said to her, I said, Do you, can you imagine the lack of self-respect, the loss of dignity that it would take to just lay there, spend the night in public laying in the dirt? And I don't say that as a criticism. I say that with a heart, my heart broken for that man. The loss of dignity, that's what sin does. It reduces us. And Jesus gives us our dignity back. He empowers us. There was a time. That's where I was heading. 
where I would live, I, I would sleep out in the open air. I would look for a car to break into or a camper to break into to sleep the night. I would sleep in borrowed bedrooms and garages and I was heading in that direction until Jesus met me. And it's his power coming in us that gives us the ability to say no, to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. And all of that is included in what Paul calls one baptism. So if you're being baptized, I want you to go ahead and just step out now. Get ready. We're going we're gonna to do this in about 10 minutes. So when Paul talks about one baptism, he's saying, hey, it's the death the burial, the resurrection, the power of the Spirit coming upon us so that we what? May walk in newness of life. So I want to encourage you as you're stepping out. If you're being baptized this morning, you expect the power of the Spirit to come upon you. Because when we're baptized in water, what we're doing is we're saying, I agree with heaven's assessment of my previous life. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, he said, God forbid that I should glory except in this one thing, in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds this, by which the world was crucified to me and I was crucified to the world. Paul is saying, my one boast in this world is the thing that took me out. It removed me as uh, the pain in the neck I was to humanity. That he, the cross removed me. It's interesting, Paul says that the cross crucified us to the world, but also the world to us. Remember when Jesus was crucified on the cross, there was a thief on either side. Remember that? Well, Paul gives us an insight into who they were. In this, there was self and the world. And it wasn't just Jesus that was crucified, but our self and the world were crucified, the thieves, that, the thieves that had robbed us up until that time. And so we are crucified with Christ, and the world is crucified to us. And we're free. And when we get in the baptismal water, what we're saying is, God, I agree with you. The person that I used to be, I agree, that person deserves judgment and I'm going to step in and I'm gonna bury that old person and leave him behind. Many of you remember Sandra Collier. Quimby and Sandra were very instrumental in my personal walk with the Lord for many years and we ended up hiring them uh, their final ministry post and uh, Sandra went to be with the Lord uh, some time back but Sandra was a tremendous woman of God. When she got saved, she was, she was a little Spitfire Texas girl that had a real, she could, she could curse and get angry and she was, as, as strong as she was in Jesus, she was that way, you know, she was for, that way for the devil. She had a fiery temper. And one time, speaking of baptism, when, when she, was, she was wanting baptized in the spirit, she had lined up, they were at some meeting and somebody lined everybody up for uh, to be baptized in the Spirit. And the guy went down the row, was praying for people, and people were getting baptized. Boom, boom, boom. Came to her. He went to lay his hand on her. He says, you've got some business to do. And just went on moving. 
And she realized, man, I've got some unforgiveness. He came back and he prayed for her. She said, I felt something leave me. It was like fire came out of me. And then the spirit of God came upon her. She was a woman of the spirit. But in her water baptism, one day she was praying and the Lord gave her a vision. And she saw herself carrying a dead body around. And the Lord told her, rise and be baptized. That's really the picture that Paul is alluding to in Romans 7. Now, I don't think Sandra knew that. But under Roman law, there was a form of capital punishment. If you were to murder someone, they could sentence you to being tied, bound to the corpse of your victim. Until literally it kills you because of the, I know it's gross, but the, the rotting flesh of your victim is tied to you and you would breathe in the fumes and it would kill you. And so Paul cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, when you get saved, you have that old man, that, that old man that we tend to identify with and still see ourselves through that lens. We're on the road this week and we were talking about when I was in Bible school, I, I remember I had a buddy. We went to Teen Challenge together and then went to two Bible schools together. And he would often tell people, hey, are you, you know, I, was, I went through Teen Challenge. And, and, uh, and then he would say, yeah, Dave went through. And I remember someone telling us, they said to him, I can imagine you as a drug addict. I can imagine you as a homeless guy. But they said to me, but I can't imagine you that way. And I was happy to hear that. I don't want you looking at me thinking, well, I can imagine that. You know, it's not a far stretch of the imagination. <laughs> when I first got saved, the church that prayed me into the kingdom, I, I went to Teen Challenge. I came home for my, he had a five-day pass. And they said, Dave, come up here and give a testimony. And man, I just weep and I was thanking this church for praying for me and they knew where I came from and they all stood in standing ovation. It was a touching moment. I went back to Teen Challenge, came home from my 10-day. Dave, come up here, give a testimony. Same thing. People were moved and then I went off to Bible school and I came home and they said, Dave, come up and give a testimony and somewhere in that time, it was either the first time I came home from Bible school or the second time, they said, come up and give a testimony and I remember giving my testimony and it didn't have the same effect. It was kind of a yawn, a corporate yawn. Oh, there's a little golf clap. <laughs> and the Lord used that and the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, Dave, it is now time for you no longer to identify as a former something. You are now hooked to your future. You are a present day man of God. You're in the becoming stage. And I believe there's a lot of believers that are so identified with what they used to be, they need to get that thing in the watery grave, put that thing under the water, and rise up and realize you're leaving that old man behind. I'm not carrying around this corpse. The only time I ever talk about my testimony is usually in the pulpit. And it's, it's not because I still identify. I had one of the guys that mentored me, he ran the first Bible school I went to, and he told me, he says, Dave, don't you feel guilty? Don't you feel guilty? Your dad stepped out of ministry because of you and your brother's drug use. Don't you, don't you feel guilt? And I'm thinking, not until you started saying that I didn't, you know. <laughs> Should I? You know, is this a new discipleship mode, you know? 
And I said, I was kind of puzzled, and I said, no. He said, why not? And I said, because that's, I'm not that person. I didn't do those things. That guy is dead. He is under the grave. I am free. I, I started all over. I was born again. And if you met Jesus, so were you. And our past cannot be held against us. The sentence for that crime has already been carried out. We are free. We, have, we walk in newness of life. And so that's what water baptism is. We, could, we step into the water and say, God, I agree. That old man, that guy I used to be, he deserves judgment. And matter of fact, he's, he's not only a pain in the neck to humanity and to the human race, he's a pain in the neck to me. And I don't want to carry this dead body around anymore. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus. And so I'm going to join him in baptism. I'm going to be buried with him. And I'm going to leave that old man underneath. But we don't leave you under the water. Those of you that were worried and that's why you haven't been water baptized. We don't. Honest. It's very quick. We put you under and you come up in newness of life. And the spirit coming upon you. And you cooperate with this prophetic act. And realize now the spirit is going to come upon me. And it's by his spirit I put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. I'm going to walk in newness of life. That's what water baptism is. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.